on the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry. I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author Heman Sunim, telling us what to do when things don't go your way. When we are, you know, very young and have a first love and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. We begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Platforms. The Six Nations on the Left Wing Podcast. The Grand Slam dream is very much still alive for Ireland after their fantastic win over France at the Aviva Stadium last Saturday. World number one versus world number two more than lived up to its billing. And on the latest episode of the Left Wing Podcast, we will discuss the last weekend's classic as well as all the other Six Nations talking points. Will Slattery here with you, and I'm delighted to be joined by Keen Tracy and Luke Fitzgerald for our show. Keen, I suppose with a couple of days distance now, we can maybe look at the match a little more coldly or clinically. I know in the aftermath, everyone was hailing it as an all-time classic and certainly even on second viewing, it definitely held up and the excitement, the flashpoints, some of the great tries, some of the great rugby that was played. Overall, what does the performance and the result for Ireland tell you about where the team is at, both in the here and now, but even as was the growth potential, you know, with the view to later in the year? I'd say, first of all, uh, Will, it probably, you know, shows how comfortable, I suppose, Ireland are at this stage of, you know, not even the World Cup cycle, but under Andy Farrell and the work that's gone on to get to this point. Um, I just thought, like, some of the skill level on show, I just thought was absolutely outstanding, like, just top, top class. And we're sure we can get into some of the moments, but maybe some of the moments that, you know, didn't quite catch the eye at the time, but watching it back probably didn't have a, a, enough appreciation for it. Um but in terms of like what it means going forward, like I still thought there was plenty of scope for for Ireland to get better. Now, obviously, France will will certainly be better, and I suppose that's the that's the risk that they'll probably come away from that going having learned a lot more. I'd say than than Ireland would have. But um, like you think, was it four times they got held up over the line? Um, you look at the the, the crazy stat for the amount of time spent in the opposition twenty twos. Like France didn't even hit a minute, and for, and Ireland were up around nine minutes. Um. And, you know, there was definitely a sense that Ireland could have scored more. And that, to me, is an unbelievably good position to be in, to beat the world number two team. Because, you know, like this is kind of what we were talking about after the game, that this is a very, very good French team. I mean, they've shown it over the last while. What was it? 14 game. Uh, winning run um, and to end that it was going to take it was going to have to take a very good team with a very good performance and I think you got that from Ireland um, but when they kind of look back in it the line out you know was a bit shaky I thought at times uh, like I said not being clinical enough so if you had kind of offered Andy Farrell or any Irish supporter that at the start of a day to get a bonus point win but with plenty of scope for improvement um, I think they would have taken it but as the game as a whole it was just remarkable. I agree with you, Will. I think it's gotten better. I've watched it back a couple of times. Um, you know, obviously being at the game, 
like you get the, the full like the full Monty in terms of the atmosphere and that doesn't quite come across ever when you're watching it on TV but I mean the French traveled in their thousands like absolute thousands like at times it did really feel like um you were in France and you know you're just kind of sitting there going this really bodes well for what's ahead in the World Cup even from a supporter's point of view but um as an occasion and as a spectacle and as a game I just thought it lived up to the billing in every sense really yeah I agree it really felt like a bumper Six Nations weekend. Like it was the first time France could come to Ireland with supporters since 2019 when obviously the fortunes of the team were vastly different than they are now and the French have clearly really gotten behind them. There was so many at the game just around the city generally and it really contributed to the atmosphere. Luke, you know, one of Keane's points that I think is a really interesting one is that like Ireland have won two out of two, two bonus point wins out of two. They're on course for a Grand Slam potentially or at the very least a championship but there's still so much you know, room for improvement you know missing some of those chances so it's almost like the perfect position for Andy Farrell to be in because you're, you're, you're winning your games you're playing really good rugby but yet you can go to your team and in the review and point out loads of areas where there's room for improvement. Yeah I completely agree I think um, you know one of the things that's been talked about a little bit as well that I think has been a real well, the most important find from the weekend is really the bench players. I mean, there's there's loads of quality there, and they can all play that game, um, you know, that fast-paced game. You, you think of Tom O'Toole and some of the, the moments he had when he came on. You look at Ross Byrne, I thought, looked very, very good when he came on. Um, you know, it was really, really high-quality stuff. And, and you think of, like, Aki was a key guy when he came on, some brilliant moments too. But there's no Henshaw, there's no Furlong, there's no... Uh, you know, Jameson Gibson Park. Um, you know, you'd have to think. I thought Murray was brilliant, but like, you know, there's like he'd be fresher. I think, you know, having the week he had. I mean, to put in the performance he put in, like he would probably, I'm sure, think, well, if I can play that well under under that much pressure, I mean, how, you know, how well can I play without it? You know, so I think they found out loads of things about the team. I think there's lots of guys who are playing great rugby and in great form. Um, you know, I think uh, it really bodes well for that World Cup, and it looks like. Um, you know, they have the ability to kind of back it up two weeks in a row, which is probably my big concern with this Irish team is that if they lose a few guys, you know, how can they, how will they be able to cope with that? Um, and they look like they can really do that. And, and I, I think they look like a team who've really figured out how they want to play. Um, and I, what I really like about it as well is that I think it's a way that Ireland should always play. That pace, you know, relying on high skills, um, you know that cohesiveness, real understanding, real that little bit of creative flair as well. You think of that try, the the Keenan try. Um, that's where Ireland always need to be if they want to be successful, because we're never going to have the kind of athletes that South Africa will have, that New Zealand will have, that England will have, or France probably will have as well. Just in terms of that bulk, you know, they can play a simplified version of the game and be very, very effective with a huge pack. That's never going to be us. We have to play a little bit a la New Zealand and some of those great Australian teams where you have that ability to play at a really fast pace and you punish them. Like I thought France looked like they were being punished in the last 10 or 15 minutes of that game. I thought they looked out in their feet and we looked really, really like we were buzzing. There was more in the tank for us. Like I thought if that game went on another 10 or 15 minutes, that was only going to get worse for France. Um, and that's always how I feel. I felt about New Zealand teams. And I kind of feel that about this Irish team, which is a really, really high compliment, I think. Um, so I was so pleased. I think they're in a brilliant place. Um, just got to keep it going for the rest of the championship now, you know? Yeah, it's a funny one, Keane. Like Andy Farrell, you know, every time there's an injury or a misfortune, he's like pumping his fist, being like, get in another one. We have a chance to, you know, overcome something else. And 
it has been a hallmark of the last two weeks, just how many players have stepped up when key guys have been injured, how the bench have stepped up, as Luke said, like Tom O'Toole, a guy who we were kind of saying, oh, we want to see a lot more from this guy. He'd been heralded a few years ago. And, you know, Craig Gacy looked very good off the bench. Even Johnny Sexton, who we were a little critical last week of, of maybe not, Ross Byrne not getting into the fray earlier, you know, with his kind of knock he took, Ross Byrne got to see out a lot more of the game. So even at out half, it looks a lot more fortified. <laughs> like, it's almost, I feel like, too positive now, but like it, everything just seemed to have lined up over the last few weeks. It has, yeah, and it, it, you're right. Like It all does stem down from Andy Farr. Like, I mean, we can talk about the tactics till the cows come home, and it's so worth talking about it because Ireland are so brilliant to watch. But I think like what's impressed me, not the most, because that does a disservice to the quality of rugby that we're seeing, but in terms of like the Andy Farrell uh, reign, it's like the emotional intelligence of him is just like remarkable, really, because... like. I've no doubt that he's telling the players behind the scenes as well to, you know, to embrace the chaos and all this. And you can imagine what that does for guys. Like I remember at the start, maybe over in Portugal um, or just before they went over to Portugal, um, Andy Farrell was talking about Tom O'Toole and he kind of, you know, said, you know, it was something like potential, you know, can we can only talk about potential for so long. And it was just a real kind of subtle, maybe kick in the backside, because this is a guy who's probably third choice at tight head, you'd have to say, at Ulster, um, behind Marty Moore and uh, Jeffrey Tumanga Allen. Um, and it's kind of similar to what, you know, James Gibson Park behind Luke McGrath. So he has... He sees things, I think, that the provinces don't necessarily see, but it's how he goes about nurturing that talent, I think, has been just so, so impressive. Um, like, there would have been concerns. I certainly would have had concerns going into the game about the the Irish scrum. I think Finley Bealham has been really, really impressive, but that was the biggest test of his career, going up, up against the power of that French scrum. And, like, there was every chance... There was barely any scrums, to be fair. Yeah. Like, it was, I think France had one scrum in their own pudding. There was. It was. I think there was five in total, which was, you know, a hallmark of the ridiculously high uh, ball and play time, 46 minutes. But at the same time, there were still scrums, and Ireland held up their own side of the bargain. And But the fact that they didn't give France options, you know, to a chance to go to the power game is just so smart so um like that is like luke's right like in terms of pointing out the the depth i think we're already starting to see that because like if you had said at the the start of the championship that you know you're going to go into that france game without all the players that luke mentioned and in particular tyg furlong i think a lot of people would have been worried and you think back to like rob herring is arguably ireland's third choice hooker behind dan sheehan and uh, Ronan Keller as well he was doing well while he was on so I just think it all kind of stems from Andy Farrell and his emotional intelligence in terms of getting the best out of players because the depth is like the depth has surprised me I have to say I think like in certain positions there was concerns but you're starting to feel a lot better about that now and you know Luke touched on you know Ross Byrne coming on I thought Craig Casey was very good when he came on and like they came on it's similar enough to you know the Wales game in that you know Ireland were chasing the bonus point but when they came on against France like the the game wasn't dead and buried certainly not when Ross Byrne came on but the way that they came on managed it you know Ross Byrne put a lovely kick in behind so did Craig Casey you think of Hugo Keenan's 50-22 it's like lots of their just lots of the impacts that they made were just really, really smart. And again, I just go back. I just think it's it's a lot of that is down to Farrell in terms of getting the best out of these guys. Luke, did anything jump out to you in terms of how the game unfolded generally? You know, going into it, I thought France would look to 
slow it down and not, not take Ireland on in that game and try everything they could to have more scrums to maybe get a bit of dominance there or or just not to have as the high ball and play time. And that obviously didn't unfold at all. Like, what did you make of just how the game flowed generally? Yeah, it kind of flowed how I how I thought in terms of how the... You know, if the game is played at that pace, I just don't think it suits... It, it won't suit that French pack. Now, I thought with the six on the bench, like I obviously got my prediction wrong. I thought France would win. I just thought there was going to be too much interruption uh, during the week for Ireland, too many late dropouts. I just thought the team wouldn't react well. And maybe we'll talk about why I think they did react so well and why I think they're in such a good place later on. But just in terms of France, um, you know, I think... I, I, I don't think they'll want to take, similar to, us, to to South Africa, I don't think they want to take this Irish pack on particularly. The backs is obviously a different story. Just They're kind of similar athletes in both both sides. Um, but the pack particularly, I don't think they'll want to take this this Irish team on at that pace again. Uh, I think that plays the way Ireland want to play. It's kind of like when when, they, when they'll come up against the likes of New Zealand. Um, I think they'll want to slow the game down. They'll want to go from set piece to set piece. They'll want to go to the line out, to the mall, to things that I think they can really bust up. And you can actually, there's a different way of, there's kind of two different types of fitness. There's that on top of the ground fitness, you know, that running around fitness. I think Ireland are brilliant at that, rucking, that kind of stuff. But when it comes to mauling and scrummaging, you can really wear down a pack like Ireland's with the extra weight on top. It just takes more out of you trying to stop a, a team with that and I think that would serve them a little bit better playing a bit of a tighter game now I think Ireland probably didn't let them do that as much um, and I thought you know the reason Ireland are so hard to beat at the moment is that and, and I think the, the the reason those players are plugged in an awful lot better just on reflection from the game is that I think Ireland have a way of playing I think they train like that every day I think that's been bet into them I think it makes it easier and it gives people a great understanding if there's if, if it's I'm not sure it's a simple game plan by any stretch, but there's everyone understands the game plan in Ireland and how they want to play. And I think that was why um, they they were so effective from 1 to 23 in the weekend. Um, and it's just in, in terms of the game, that pace is going to be how Ireland need to play. And I think they seem to be training at that pace. I think that the provinces, particularly Leinster, are playing at that pace, which make up the, the, the majority of the team. Um, so they got a bit of continuity there as well. Um so yeah, look, that's why I think that, that's how I think the game unfolded uh, the way it did. Is Ireland were able to dictate that pace, and I think France will go back and think, well, I don't think that's how we want to play against Ireland in the future. Um, France lived off moments in the game, as reflected by that kind of twenty-two stat opposition, sorry, time in opposition twenty-two stat. They lived off these kind of moments, and and guys like Dupont making special things happen, you know, offloads here and there. Concerted pressure was was is what you want. Uh, I would always take concerted pressure, even if you don't win the games, because I think on balance in the average, you're going to win more of those games. And Ireland had way more of the game. Nine minutes, as Kean said, in, in, in the opposition, 22. Um, but just generally, they had the ball, uh, they had the territory. And I think that was why uh, they were successful in the day, because it allowed them to kind of dictate the pace of the game. And they did that brilliantly. Uh, I'm not sure how France arrest that going forward. I think there is probably ways to do that. Um, you know, because they'll have one eye in the World Cup now. But um, you know, Ireland are in a really great place, uh, and it stems from the coaching staff and the understanding that they've obviously given the players about how they want to play and what suits the kind of what already suits our strengths. Um, so yeah, very very positive on on that, and and that's why I think the game unfolded that way as Ireland were able to 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 dictate us, you know, as they wanted. Yeah, Keen, like one part of, of kind of the review will be all those missed chances. Like the first half did really remind me of the 2021 New Zealand game at home where Ireland in the first half played some great rugby, but the scoreboard didn't reflect the dominance by any means. That day they were actually trailing by five points somehow, whereas at least Ireland had a six-point lead at the weekend, but it, it could definitely have been more. Like 
how do you reflect back on those missed chances and why Ireland didn't convert? Because there was definitely plenty of opportunities. I know Antoine Dupont made that Superman tackle, but even aside from that, there was a few missed opportunities there. Yeah, I wouldn't be overly critical about that. I mean, we still have to, it's worth reminding, like you're playing against one of the best defensive teams in the world, you know, um, and you've got to give France credit for that. Their last ditch, their scramble defence um, was really, really impressive. So like, you're not going to take every opportunity you get. And I don't know, was it just a sense of being in the stadium. There were very few times where I got the sense that Ireland were in real trouble. Um, I always felt like they were, I'm not going to say comfortable because that would be a stretch, but um, I always felt like they were in control of the game. Um, So I wouldn't be overly critical about, you know, being held up over the line four times. They still managed to score four tries. And one of the most pleasing things for me was the variety in the in the tries that they scored i mean you know you think to the first one like i'm always a sucker for a good set piece play and like it was just like i loved it like i couldn't couldn't get enough of it even at the time um just love the moving parts that are involved you think to james lowe's finish i know it's a bit controversial but the pass from gary ringrose to put james lowe over it was just ridiculously good Caelan Doris's pass to put Ringrose over was just ridiculously good. And then you had the close range try from the pack as well. So there's so much to be, I think, encouraged by in terms of the way Ireland are going about picking apart the best teams in the world. Like you think back to New Zealand as well, um, how they did that last summer. And like I said, this is one of the best teams in the world, clearly, and one of the best defences in the world under Sean Edwards. But Ireland still found different ways of unlocking them. Of course, they would have liked two, three more tries, but maybe that just keeps everyone's feet on the ground, like internally and externally, you know, like if Ireland had ran up a big score there, I think people would have lost the run of themselves and it probably wouldn't have been a reflection on where these two teams are. Whereas now, as we said at the start, Ireland go back and they see plenty of scope for improvement, but I would be kind of still, if Ireland were to come up against France, potentially in the World Cup quarterfinal, I would still be as fearful going into that because obviously it's away from home and that. But I think France will be much, much better. And I agree with what Luke's saying. They'll probably go back to the drawing board a little bit and tweak a few things. And there's so much time for them to do that, that they still remain, I think, really, really dangerous. Like they lost that game badly enough, I think. Like if you think about those held up tries, like in before that new rule comes in, it sounds like a silly thing to say, but before that new rule comes in, they are stuck in their 22 for quite a long period of time after that, or, you know, or, or, or you know, because you got a five meter scrum there. Like, I thought like that new rule really saved them a little bit of pressure as well. So I think that nearly glossed it up a little bit more. Now, Ireland obviously scored off one of them with that brilliant set piece play. But I, I don't know if I was France, I would be really considering about, you know, my kick strategy. You know, am I kicking into touch more? Am I doing things like that? Um, You know, and am I probably taking more? Am I taking less chances? Am I am I going to try and hang on to the ball in the tight exchanges a little bit more? Um, you know, use my muscle, grind Ireland down a little bit more, get the ball out of their hands because I think Ireland's skill levels are so high uh, amongst the forwards that I think they're just going to continue to play rugby and dictate the pace of the game if they have the ball. So I think teams, if you were looking at Ireland, you'd be saying. Well, I don't think I can. Uh, I think they really believe in themselves now. I think they've got great execution. They've got great skills. One to fifteen. I don't think I can actually give these guys the ball. A little bit like New Zealand. A little bit like what you always used to say with New Zealand. You just don't want to give them the ball for too long. Um. So yeah, no, it's a, uh, it, it's an interesting one about how they go about this. And I think look, there'll be a different proposition at home. We know that about French teams as always. But still, um, you know, it'll be uh, interesting to see what 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 the how they kind of 
what kind of game theory they go to, if you like, about how how they're going to you know get control of a game against Ireland because they didn't look in control of that game at all to me. Yeah, I think the, the, the their kicking approach I think is is really interesting because clearly they won a Grand Slam last season by kicking the most. And will I know like you did a good piece um, about that last week in terms of like the impact that Flock Sillier has had brilliant. But like, what did you think of their kind of kick approach? Do you think it's something they need to revise? Well, it's certainly an interesting one. Like as I said, like you know, the, the kick meters they put up last year, it's staggering. Like if you if you so to the untrained eye, you might notice it as much in a match. It's only when you see the numbers written down that you know in the last six nations when France won the Grand Slam, France kicked the most meters, Ireland had the least meters kicked, and you know there was very little between them in that game last year. And certainly the strategy on Saturday didn't pay dividends for them. They they you know they ran off their feet by the end of the game. It will be interesting to see how France you know you know kind of approach the next meeting after what happened in that game and even there's a couple of potential big club clashes to come with the bulk of the Irish team potentially playing a lot of the French team if Toulouse or La Rochelle play Leinster I think those games will feed into it as well because I, I think the Toulouse players who featured in that Leinster game last April in the semi-final like they came away from that with a big beating and it was quite similar in many ways except that day Leinster really put the foot in the throat and kind of converted more chances like it could have been very similar so I, I think for some of those Toulouse guys that has to be in their head mentally I don't know what you guys think in terms of the last few times they played in the Aviva I know this will be in France if they play in the World Cup but you know relatively big beatings and in a similar kind of game plan where the, the pace was pushed and it just took those big guys, you know, it was it was tough for them. Roman Entomac touched on that uh, before the game and I think it definitely is in the Toulouse's players' heads but I think you kind of probably hit the nail in the head there, Will, with like France will be so much more comfortable and confident at home. But at the, on the flip side of that, a home World Cup does strange things to people. It brings pressure. Does. Yeah. And like, you know, France, traditionally, like, it's it, this is, I, I find this fascinating, actually, that the, the just on the back of your piece and the amount that they kick and stuff, obviously the French supporters don't, don't mind that because they won a Grand Slam. But like, if they start, you know, losing a couple of games here and there, like that's not the French DNA in terms of how to play rugby, so it it will be very very interesting, you know. Big time! It was funny. I I happened to have two French supporters staying in my house over the weekend for the game. Long story, uh, but we were chatting about the match, uh, you know, and about this kicking. And no, they certainly weren't fans of it. And and the French supporters generally aren't fans of it. I know what you mean. Like a winning strategy is a winning strategy, which similar to when Ireland were winning under mm-hmm. Joe Schmidt. For the most part, supporters were very pleased to win Grand Slams, but when it started to go a little bit wrong, very, very quickly, people kind of turned on this style of play and, and were very unforgiving. So I will be interested to see if France, you know, they play Scotland next. That's not a gimme at home. Then they go to Twickenham, who, although I know England have been very poor under Steve Borthwick, you know, I, that's not a gimme either. So I'll be interested to see how the, the Six Nations shakes out from here and, and whether there is a little bit of a reassessment or, and, or, or, we, we or do, how We probably should have a little bit of perspective, though. I mean, th- like that is that they've been 14 on the bounce before now, you know. So I think, you know, they, they, they'll still need to try and win the thing at home. And I think their defence, I think it'll be better. I thought they were a little bit passive on the weekend as well. I think I don't think that helps. I think in the early phases... I don't see Ireland, particularly to a French team at home, getting the kind of pay that they got. If you think about, like, I thought James Ryan was monstrous on the weekend. He took a lot of those carries that France kind of normally double tackle people and send them backwards. I don't think they sent many people back all we all uh, like at, at all on the weekend against Ireland. That's very unusual for a big French pack because Ireland did get pay. We, we they played a brilliant brand of rugby. But Ireland were very good in the tight exchanges. Like, Caelan Doris was on fire. Like, every time he, he got the ball, his footwork, his ball handling, everything was unbelievably good. But 
I think they'll be stingier at home. I think they'll be stingier the next time we play them um, because I thought they gave up lots of kind of easy meters. And while they didn't look that bad, normally you kind of get sent backwards against this French defence. And, and and I think Sean, Ed- Sean Edwards will get that right in the, in, in the big games for them. Um, and I think, you know, as well, a lot of their attack can kind of come from those defensive situations as well. You think about, you know, the the poor tr- chip by Mac Hansen and, and you know, Penno then goes 80 metres down the, the other side of the pitch from the chip. You know what I mean? There's loads of those moments. Like France generally have a few of those moments defensively where they turn you over, you're not organised, and they, and you're all of a sudden you're picking the ball up on your posts kind of 60, 70 metres. We saw none of that in the weekend. Ireland completely dominated all of the game in the in the kind of loose parts of it, you know? Um so that that is something to watch on on this as well. I think France will get better, and I think um, I think there's more in them. Uh, I think defensively they were they were not at the races on the weekend, and they'll be pretty disappointed with their performance in that perspective. Well, it'll certainly be fascinating to see how France bounce back from their first defeat in what 14 games because they haven't had much adversity over the last while. The game plan, while maybe a little controversial on France, was working. But even in the in the autumn, I think everyone was in agreement that they didn't look their best you know even defensively Australia shredded them from an end-to-end try South Africa were very close to beating them so potentially a reset could be good but as I said a couple of tricky fixations fixtures to come we'll be interested to see how they bounce back Keen, one person that Luke mentioned there that I think you tweeted about as well was James Ryan it's really been a return to his very best um, and even probably better than his very best in some ways like he's a more mature player now I think he's, he's like a bigger guy than he was when he first broke on the scene in 2018 he just seems to be really you know, hitting his straps at the moment. And it, it's such a valuable person. It's almost, you'd almost forgotten about what he adds to the party when he's really switched on. And now that he's back in the team and playing as well, it's, it's such an asset. Yeah, absolutely. He was probably one of the guys who like, you know, I thought he was very, very good um, when I was at the game watching it live. But watching it back, I just saw like for real the amount of work that he'd done on and off the ball. I thought he was exceptional actually. Um, but like this has been... I would say a quiet, would you say quiet return to his best, I think, over the last while. Yeah. And like, you know, he had such a bad run of injuries and he also played a lot of rugby when he broke onto the scene. You know, like you remember, like he made his Ireland debut before he played for for Leinster. He played a lot of rugby. Um, and this is something we were talking to Stuart Lancaster about uh, on Monday. And, you know, he was making the point that himself and Caelan Doris are very similar in that, you know, they've had time out of the game. They're still very young. But, like, he reckons, like, that that time out of the game has just allowed him to just, like, reset mentally as much as physically and, you know, concentrate in different things that maybe they weren't thinking about. And the proof has been in the pudding. They've both been absolutely exceptional. And they're such key parts to, to Ireland's overall game plan. I think James Ryan was probably, you know suffering a little bit from being compared to like the next Paul O'Connell um, probably like from the likes of me um, and maybe you know that that's an unfair uh, comparison to make but like that's what Irish rugby was crying out for and you know they've not that they took the captaincy away from him but that he he hasn't been captain for Leinster they've gone to Gary Ringrose I think that's helped as well I think it's allowed him just to concentrate on his own stuff I think he's really developing as a line-out leader we saw that line-out steal uh, that he had in Cardiff uh, so that's clearly an area of his game that he's been working on and you'd imagine Paul O'Connell's had a huge influence um, on that but like I think back to the summer and I thought Sam Whitelock was outstanding in that first test and um, obviously the All Blacks won and then James Ryan was very very good in the second test but Whitelock wasn't playing so 
I was already starting to see people going, oh, well, you know, he's great because Sam Whitelock wasn't playing. And then he came back for the third test and James Ryan got the better of him. And I always felt like that was a huge, huge moment for, for James Ryan to just get one over. Like he's been dealing with, you know, questions. Is he physical enough? Is he, th- is he this? Is he that? And you think back then to how he carried that into November when he was really, really good. He's been brilliant with the games he's played for Leinster. Uh, and I agree. I think like going up against, you know, the second row they did, particularly like against someone like Paul Willemse, who was hauled off early. Like that's how ineffective he was. And that's part of maybe France's problem. Like you look at Uni Antonio, who obviously should have been sent off. It was disgraceful. But you see how Ireland targeted him for that opening try because he was too slow to get back on his feet and into the defensive line. Um, and Paul Willemse has taken off. So that just shows you like the what can happen when you move these big guys around the pitch. Like Ireland are just so good at um, at capitalising on that. But uh, yeah, I just think James Ryan has been quietly back to his best, I think, over the last while without maybe the fanfare that a Gary Ringrose or a Caelan Doris has been getting. And, you know, I've spoken to him a few times over the years and like he's a real kind of like quiet, unassuming guy. But um, Andy Farrell was making the point that, you know, obviously he made his 50th cap last weekend that, he doesn't even think that James Ryan realizes himself how much he's respected in that dressing room. That like people look up to him, people look for him for leadership, for guidance, um, and that's probably still a part of his game that he's still developing. Even though he has been a captain all the way up since he was younger, but um, he's definitely in a good place. But I think that that's as much down to having an injury-free run as anything else, you know. Do you know what it is as well? I, I, I think it is that game because I think what's, what's developed out of it, interestingly, I think, is just a little bit of comfort. Like when he was back, he was actually in really good shape, like very physical, very fit. But I think he's more comfortable. He was give, he went through a period where he was giving away crazy penalties for quite a while, just trying that little bit too hard to maybe fill the boots or whatever it is, or get back to where he was, he you know he was previously or whatever whatever he was trying to do. I think he looks like a comfortable player now. He looks like a guy who believes in himself. And knows that he doesn't necessarily have to do that hundred and ten percent effort. You know, that hundred percent is just fine. And you know, you can let you know driving someone back. You know, if if someone's there to be driven back, a you know a meter, a meter's fine. You don't need to. It doesn't need to be two or three meters every time in a tackle. Do you know that? Do you know? I'm not trying to. I'm explaining that well. But players can just try just a little bit too hard. I thought he was suffering a little bit from that. I think he simplified things down. I, I mentioned earlier about his carries and how he was you know, not being sent backwards in some of those two-man tackles. I thought he was an absolute key guy to Ireland's attack over the weekend um, because he was able to muscle up against that French pack. You know, he looks like a stronger guy, as Will mentioned. Looks like he's a little bit bulkier, but he also looks, his technique is brilliant. He looks super fit as well. Very similar to Doris, I think. Both of them look really, really fit and up for the fight for 80 minutes. Um, and they can seem to be guys who can do, double, you know, kind of double and triple efforts at a time and have big, big impacts, even if they're only small you know, it, it might not be them getting the try. Gary Ringrose gets the try, but you might see Doris put in, a, you know, a you know, great rook or, you know, he steals the ball at the end or he gets that big pass, whatever it is. Ryan is the guy who seems to be the key guy in the rook. He seems to be the key carrier in that one that, you know, there's two guys, you know, um, trying to tackle him. I find like he's having a loads of these really important kind of small moments that you don't catch on camera or you're not going to talk about maybe in the paper. But I think he's just playing brilliantly. And I agree with everything that you said there. I just think he's in a really brilliant place. And it's great to see because he's kind of a key guy for Ireland. And actually, on a wider point, I don't think I can remember any great team that doesn't have a great second row or second row pairing. Um, and I think he's a really important facet of that. Obviously, Byrne is a big loss. But, you know, Henderson is still... 
I think he he has potential to be a great player too. Uh, just very injury struck and you know and, and and interrupted in terms of his his continuity. But if he gets a nice run into the World Cup, I think Ireland all of a sudden have three guys there who are who have the potential to be world class. Um, so great to see him back on on top form. Yeah, just on James Ryan, like I know he always downplayed it, but there's no way if you start your career with the win streak and the Grand Slam and the Champions Cup and everyone's heralding you as Paul O'Connell's successor. And then things start to go pear-shaped, you're injured, your form dips. There's no way that can't affect you, your confidence. And and I think he's spoken about how coming back from some of the concussion issues, it did take him a while to get used to, you know, playing rugby again or playing it at a high level or, or that physicality. It just has to knock your confidence. I know he was always very much downplaying the whole thing, but it would, you're only human at the end of the day. If everyone's pumping you up all the time and the start of your career is so meteoric, it has to be difficult when things go wrong. I just, I don't see it. Yeah, like this, I sat down with him. Um, it was just before the New Zealand tour last year uh, with, with a one-on-one interview. And like he's, I find he's always far more comfortable in, in that setting. Um, but anyway, um, he was making the point that, you know, just at the back of that winning streak. And, you know, I think it was probably he was talking about uh, winning the, the Heineken Cup in Bilbao that I, I think it was Rob Carney was saying, like making a real point like that, you know, like seriously enjoy and appreciate this. And he admit he admitted like that, you know, he was like, oh, well, like, I mean, we're, we're winning all around us. Like, this is what it will always be like. And it's only when he, you look back on it now and Leinster obviously haven't won a Heineken Cup since and you realise how bloody tough it is to do. You think like Ireland haven't won a Six Nations since 2018. Um so I think that all feeds into the mental side of the game. And I think that's obviously just as important as well. And maybe that's the stuff that Stuart Lancaster was referencing in terms of just having a little bit of a reset, you know, refocus in your mind. And like I said, like the results that we've seen have just been outstanding. Like it's just like, I agree with what Luke said. He's so, so important to to Ireland's overall game plan. And it's both sides of the ball as well. That's it. Like it's attack and the defense. Like he racks Great up. Tackle. He racks up. Serious tackle. And his, his numbers are crazy as well for a guy that's like, you know, in the thick of the set piece, calling the line outs. Um, he just does everything. Um, but yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant to see him back to his best because like, you know, like it mentioned those two guys out with concussion. Like it's just like, it's a horrible thing for any young rugby player to go through. But like, thankfully now they seem to be out the, the other side and playing, Probably better than ever, you'd have to say, especially Doris as well. Yeah, and as you say, quietly returning to form. I suppose it's difficult to get all the plaudits when people like Cale and Doris are playing in the same pack as you and putting in performances like that. Luke, in terms of the big controversy, you know, the the weenie Antonio tackle, you know, we'll preface it by saying that the James Lowe try should have been disallowed. So it's not just, you know, only one way decisions, uh, you know, going against people. Like, what did you make of, of Wayne Barnes's call? I thought it was dreadful. Um, like I really don't think this um I really don't think this this tackle rule below the hip is like makes any sense at all. I think there's loads of parts of the game that I just don't know how you referee off the back of it. Um I, I know I know what this the research is saying. I read a great that 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 Harry's article was brilliant. Um but I think he's he's thinking about the wrong things trying to make this decision where really like that was that was so easy to see and I, I, it was a big, big mistake. Um and I like Wayne Barnes, he actually is a good fella. But uh, I have to say, really, really poor. Um, and it's dangerous for the game. It's like an existential issue, this this kind of uh, um, these concussions and how we're trying to protect it against them. And I, I think, you know, one of the big points in that article a couple of weeks ago um, on the rule changes was that the, the rules are not being enforced correctly in, in game and post game. 
uh, too much mitigation, all this kind of rubbish. And that, to me, was a perfect example of it. Um, just like, like think of poor Rob Herring now. He's out for a couple of weeks, probably trying to do, uh, you know, trying to get back in the team. Having been, you know, that, that would have been a, that was a big opportunity for him. He was playing really well, um, and all you know, all Antonio has to do is just dip a little bit coming into that tackle. I've no problem with the intent. I don't think he was going to hurt him, but it's reckless. It's careless. It endangers a fellow player. Um, just red card him and mill him. In the, they need to mill him now in the sighting commissioners. That, that's what needs to happen because people need to start getting the message. We don't need to change the rules we have. We have the ones that we need. They're in place. You just need to enforce them. And you need to absolutely crucify people post-game for this. They need to hurt. They need to go into a game going, do you know what? I can't miss another eight weeks. Like, you know, and, and clubs need that because the, the knock-on effect should be if we enforce the rules correctly, as that clubs go, no, that guy's t- tackle technique, you know, we might only have him for, like rugby's difficult enough in terms of injuries anyway. We might not have that guy for large portions of the season because his tackle technique is reckless. So that's where you start pinging guys. People won't realize that now. They, all they'll see is the bands and the red cards and losing that game. What, what really should be hurting guys when they go, clubs start going, no, can't, can't, can't take him. I'm going to be missing him for 16 weeks a season because he can't reduce his tackle height. He's proven it over and over again. So um, I, I, I think by virtue of that, you'll start getting coaches and defense coaches mentioning it in their meetings too, uh, which is where we really need to get to like, killing a guy for taking a chance on maybe one they got away with uh, where no one got hurt but saying that could have been you remember you know like Gatlin kind of mentioned that Porter thing about sliding in last week that's what needs to be happening behind closed doors for high tackles that maybe we don't pick up or no one gets injured in do you know what I mean that's where the game needs to go because you're putting the team at risk you, you know you could lose the game France should really have lost that game bat like in, in a way worse fashion once you know if, if Barnes had made that decision and that's the conversations we need to get to but um, I know I'm going on and on about it, but it was really, really bad. And we need to get this sorted because otherwise we're going to have these crazy rule changes in, um, which don't work in the game. It's just, just It just changes too much of the di- dynamics of the game. Yeah, Keen, like obviously Wayne Bryan's very experienced referee came to this conclusion, which almost makes it more shocking and galling. But then you also have the situation where he's like consulting two touch judges and there's a TMO and none of them feel the I don't know if they feel like Wayne Bryant is a senior guy so they can't say hold on a minute Wayne like this is bonkers like like I, cause I think to be fair I think the majority, I think everyone I've seen thought it was a red card so I don't I think we're operating off the basis that there's no controversy there so when you go from that it's like how come no one else there do they just feel they can't step in when the when the lead ref says it I just think like what are they there for they're just standing there like Taylor's dummies like not saying it and like it's it's ba- it's bananas like sure you said, like Matthew Carley's face said it all really I mean didn't it but <laughs> Like, I, I, like, I totally agree with you, Will. I was actually going to make that point. I think it actually makes... The, the whole thing is made worse by the fact that it was Wayne Barnes who made that decision. Um, Like, the most experienced referee in, in the game. Like, if, if he's making that call with all the video evidence available to you, it just honestly beggars belief. Like, I was incensed by it at the time. Um, we did a podcast after the match, and I was still raging about it. And like honestly, like watching it back since it's like I, I just still cannot get my head around it at all. Um, like if there's parents, well, can, watching- can I ask you on that? Do, do you know the way he mentioned the chest thing first, right? Like even if you look at the, so you look at the shoulder that uh, that he hits Herring with, his arm is is tucked as well. Like, did you think anything about that? Like that that wasn't even a mitigating factor. If anything, that made it worse. Like his arm was not in a wrap position. 
It was really similar, I thought, to the Sonny Bill Williams tackle on the line store. It was that arm was kind of tucked in. It's a sneaky way of doing it. It's a sneaky way of putting in a bad shot on someone and basically not... Because if you open your arm up like that, you open your own shoulder up to getting hurt. It's a sneaky way of... Like, I have no problem with someone going in to end someone in a tackle, provided that they, you know, they do it fairly. And... Uh, they put themselves in as much. That's what real bravery is putting yourself in 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 a position to get hurt too. Tucking the shoulders. That's just dirty play. Uh, I don't know what. Did you think of anything about that part, Rakeen, or am I being no, too harsh? I, maybe now. I, no, I totally agree. I think that tucked arm is can be so so dangerous, like we've seen. But like, there, I thought there was lots of stuff in the game that got let go. I mean, you know, no one wants to talk about it now because James Lowe finished a try, but there was a no arms tackle there. I thought after the mm-hmm. Uni Antonio incident when they played on France like cynically killing the ball on their own line and like no yellow card but just because you're going back for an incident of foul play doesn't mean that you shouldn't ping them for being cynical on their own line so I didn't think it was a good day for the the referees at all thankfully it didn't have any like you know overarching bearing on the results. There, there was also a key McCluskey turnover that was a penalty to France. He that he went off his feet and got back on his feet and stole the ball. And it, that, oh, it was only terrible. six points in it. There was six points in it at that stage. So I can see why there's some French people saying, "Well, there was a couple of things on our side of the ledger as well that weren't right." I, I agree. Overall, I just thought from, it was a bad day for the officials. And you know what? If Ireland, if, if Antonio should have been sent off, and this is a bit of a moot point because absolutely player safety is is like paramount in all of this but if Ireland had been or France had been down to 14 men you know there would have been a bit of a caveat on the result and people would have been like oh yeah but you know they only beat them because they had 14 men so it did add kind of more make it more satisfying that Ireland were able to beat them but I don't know did you lads see the the law changes that are coming in for super rugby uh, that's going to be starting soon and like this is my big concern, particularly in a World Cup year. And I think we spoke about it um, a couple of weeks ago as well. But like, you know, they're going back to the the 20 minute red card and that, you know, like, like I, I, I just couldn't agree more with Luke that like if a guy is guilty of foul play, just hammer them in terms of the suspension that they're going to get, because it's the only way to change behavior. Like we're like long, a broken play, a broken record talking about this on this podcast. And how many years into this are we and behavior still isn't changing. So it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, what kind of ban Antonio gets out of this, because I don't think it was malicious either, but like it, that doesn't matter. That doesn't, the intent doesn't come into it. There'll be good behavior. There'll be 50% here, 50% there. I'd say he'll oh. miss two matches and might be back for the last six nations game. He probably was, sorry, he'll probably miss the rest of the six nations. It's an absolute disgrace. Like, like that, that 20 minute red card thing is, is absolutely ridiculous. Like it's absolutely, like what needs to change is player behavior. Like it's not, like, the game is perfect as it is. Just, like, the red cards, you need to get pinged on the day. You need to have supporters going, oh, you know what I mean? Not the, not Antonio again. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, there needs to be a weight attached to making these hits in, in, in game. Like, people talking about, the, you know, ruining the game. No one else, the referee didn't ruin the game. The tackle ruined the game. The bad, the ill discipline ruined the game. That's what that's what's ruining the game. So, like uh, taking the responsibility or taking the impact away of a red card is crazy, crazy talk. Um, I, I just Tommy Bow had some tweet or some article out about it there about some bringing in some orange card. And I, I, I normally don't tweet at someone who's as knowledgeable as Tommy about this stuff. But I was like, you're one hundred percent wrong on the red card, but you're one hundred percent right on 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 longer bans. Um. Is anyone talking to uh, the officials who are making these changes? Because I think they're they're going to they're they're kind of eroding the standards that are there in place, which are which should protect the game. They should protect the game if they're enforced correctly. So 
I don't know. I think it's really worrying. I think it's a really bad trend. The the conversation about the ruining of the game, I'm getting really sick of it as well. Even though I know it's right, it, it, but again, I'm getting sick of it because there's you know there's ruining the game and there's actually finishing the game off because we're going to get sued into oblivion. There's there's ruining the game and ruining people's well, lives. Isn't it like that's the yeah that, that's the reality oh, sorry, of it. 100%, and like, sorry, and yeah. I know we kind of touched on this, but the disconnect between the north and the south. I know that didn't really come into play for this weekend's decision, but like I think it's going to it could cause absolute chaos at the World Cup. I'm just going to read out one of the word for word what the changes in Super Rugby are, are going to be. So. Uh, the TMO will have eight minutes to either uphold a 10-minute yellow card decision or upgrade it to a 20-minute red card, in which case the player will not return to the field but can still be replaced. And then they add, referees will now also have the power to issue a full red card for deliberate foul play, in which case the player will not return to the field and cannot be replaced. Like, I'm still reading this going, the referees will now have the power to issue a full red card. Is that not the referee's job? Like... Honestly, like I'm wondering where where does it all end here? Like, what a load of garbage! Yeah, like it, it's a familiar refrain from anyone who's watched, you know, Super Rugby or the, as I mentioned in one of our previous podcasts, the coverage of the the, the summer tour, New Zealand, Ireland. Is that like there a lot of them saying that there's these accidental collisions that should be punished by a 20 minute red card versus you know a really you know, massive swinging arm that's a deliberate red card? Like that, that's what they. I'm not saying that's in my opinion. That's what that's what a lot of you read it, you watch them saying it. It's it's a pre- pretty familiar refrain from people in the southern hemisphere. I don't think I'm painting too broadly when I say that. You're not because I like I I experienced it firsthand on the ground over there, Will, and I definitely made this point before that I was talking to people within you know relative power in in unions, and they don't agree like at all. Like they're fully like with that the red card just ruins the game. Like they were like the the Kiwis were incensed after that second test when um. The, the prop got uh, sent off um, and it's terrible yeah like yeah like I, yeah I feel like we're going on a rabbit hole here but like, and we're yeah. all on, we're all on the same page like it's just it's crazy to talk that like to ruin a game do you want to ruin a game or do you want to ruin someone's life like you know that's the reality yeah. of it like and then just to circle back and, and finish the point off that it's the most experienced referee in the game as well that's that's what really kind of jumped out to me like sometimes you do see certain referees more inexperienced referees in various leagues making like bad decisions like that and you're like oh well that's a classic for this league but when it's the top of the international game and ideally what you think is of one of the best referees doing it and his experienced colleagues are sitting there mute beside him keen just to finish up in terms of looking ahead then like italy is in two weeks time there's a break week there's potential star names to come back into contention like you know, what way should Andy Farrell approach things? Like, should there be a couple of changes? Should he just keep the, the, the strongest team he can out and maybe drip feed some of the guys in back in off the bench? What, what are you thinking? I think a lot of it will depend, Will, on the, the injuries, like how guys like Dan Sheehan, uh, Tyg Furlong, James Gibson Park, like they, well, maybe not Dan Sheehan, but like they need game time if they're fit. But it ha- you'd have to say at this stage, it doesn't sound like they are going to be available. Maybe Robbie Henshaw might be. He kind of, he rejoined the squad last week uh, to continue rehab. Obviously, he hasn't been added to the squad and he's not going to play for Leinster this weekend. I was wondering if there'd be any chance that he might, you know, get... 20 minutes off the bench just to have a bit of game time but they're obviously not going now in that way and now to be fair he is one of the players that can hit the ground running um so i think a lot will depend on on their fitness but i don't think there's anyone in the team who deserves to be dropped but like i don't think that's how they look at it either i think it wouldn't be any harm to freshen up the team a little bit but there's certainly not going to be 
wholesale changes. I'd like to see maybe a bit of rotation on the bench. Guys like Ryan Baird, maybe Gavin Coombs um, to come in, just add a little bit of freshness. I wouldn't be against Ross Byrne starting, even though, again, I think that will depend on Johnny Sexton's fitness. Obviously, Ty Byrne is looking like he's going to be out for a while. That will open up a gap. You'd imagine Ian Henderson will start potentially with Ryan Baird or Joe McCarthy coming in, but I don't, I don't think see Ryan Baird as a as a test lock. I think it's handy that he can play there, but I think his best position is six. Um, so that will be interesting. So there definitely won't be anyone who's expecting wholesale changes can just kind of get that out of their head now because Farrell has pretty much said it, and last year he didn't do it either. So, um, you know, you got to pay Italy the respects that they deserve. I know they were poor against England at the weekend, but they have been much better than they have been in in recent years. So I think maybe a couple of changes to the team and maybe a couple more to the bench would be would be good i think yeah luke what's your view and like the, the you know the grand slam is obviously in the forefront of everyone's minds like they're talking about it if not you know maybe not completely openly but they're they're referring to it and they, it's something they're obviously targeting so like ian said maybe you know a change here or there potentially ryan Baird coming into the mix maybe potentially starting ross Byrne with johnny sexton on the bench to to bring him you know on for the last 20 in a role reversal like what what would you look to see yeah, I think he's probably in a situation where he's going to be forced into the changes that I'd probably like to see. Um, you know, I think Johnny, I think Johnny will probably take a rest now. Uh, that was a big break that he had before he played these two games a lot. You could see him in the groin. I think he's, they said groin injury, didn't they? Um, so that won't probably be a quick fix. So I think they'll probably want to give him uh, the the time, and you get great time now between. Um, you know, these two games and the last two games and I think they want to fresh that one. And I think the two guys, I think Crowley and uh and Byrne deserve opportunities there. I think they've been brilliant all season for their for their respective provinces. Um Byrne has been very good in the two showings he's had. So that that's a good one to see. And I think it'll be a great opportunity. Like you need to trust your your people too. Um, this is a great opportunity to do that, and you might get to see Crowley as well. If the, if the, if the game even if the game doesn't go well, you might see him, which I think would be very useful. Um you know, I think the Baird thing I like. I think Baird's definitely a six. I agree with Keen. You know, I've been calling for that for, for a very long time. He's just a brilliant athlete, you know. So he'd be a lovely guy to add in there and maybe give Pete O'Mahony a break, who I think has been playing some brilliant rugby. I think Pete O'Mahony's been fantastic in that pack. He's a really nice, that bit of experience that he brings as well. Probably calms down some of those young heads in there. He allows them to kind of flourish. Done lots of great work. You saw actually for that that first try, he was the guy on the blocker on the far pillar. Which is actually the real guy you target on those on that Joe Schmidt play. It's actually the guy in the far side of the rook, is, is the person you're supposed to target. And Pete O'Mahony subtly, just with a little nudge, really, really nice bit of play. Just a just a cute operator at this point in his career. Now he's just humming along very nicely. I think so. Um, like to see him maybe get a rest. I think you know what he brings. He makes it clear that if you stay in your feet, if you stay in your feet in the far side, you just gently walk up. When we started doing it, no one picked up the that how bad we were blocking. Like Nathan Hines used to actually just block the guys and just he used to just nearly tackle the far guy. Not very subtle, but no one had seen the plays before. Everyone is watching it now, so you just they just kind of walk into that far pillar space. Really, really smart bit of play, but obviously planned. But you got to deliver it in the game. So, um, yeah, they're the guys I'd like to see. Luke, just to ask you about that kind of Joe Schmidt special that everyone's talking about. Like, do you kind of remember when Joe first had a kind of introducing move, a move like that? And were you thinking right away, like, geez, this one could come in handy because it was it was so successful, obviously, for Leinster. And now, you know, 10 years later, almost for Ireland. 
Uh, oh, yeah, I do remember. Yeah, like he was super creative. Like, I, I do you know what the, the things that, that Joe was so good at, and it's real, it's a real part of that move. He was really good at understanding where different people would be away from the ball and what impact they could potentially have. And he was really good at manipulating those people by showing a picture in what you were doing. So you see the way, like Hugo Keenan, as soon as he passed that, like Doris obviously is the hand up early when he's coming back. They obviously, like, they know the move is on, that they're going to be ready to do it. And look, I think the brilliant carry from Doris through Antonio actually. Actually, lovely bit of footwork. He gets a great carry on him. Really sets it up nicely as well because it means that the rook is pretty much won. The French don't commit too hard to it, but the Irish guys can actually stay on their feet. Um, so that's a brilliant part of it as well. But you see Keane and everything he does. So he passes that ball. He goes around to the right side of the pitch. Uh, you have Gary Ringrose who knows the play is on, you know, showing out the back for Bealham. Uh, you have the runner out. So, th- so the next part of the play then is obviously that Bealham actually shows the ball back inside to Keenan, but actually drops it to the, to the forward runner on his outside. Watch for that in the next couple of weeks. That's the, that's the, so when everyone's watching Ireland do this, now they'll, that's the little, um, that's like the plus play, if you like. So that's the one they'll show him, uh, oh, I'm going to Keenan and everyone will be watching that. And then all of a sudden he'll do the little slip pass off his hip back to the forward runner who looks like a complete dummy in the, in the first, in, in the play last week. So there's loads of little intricacies with Joe Schmidt that, that he was brilliant at. And he was great, as I said, at manipulating the teams and where you wanted them to be. And um, he always, as well, what I loved about Joe Schmidt, what I really learned from was that he was great at watching. He wasn't often watching the ball of what was happening with the ball in the game. He actually was watching what people were doing away from the ball more so. It was really interesting to go through. Like, I'd love for people to actually, like, if you're rugby mad, Going through a game with Joe Schmidt is like, it's an absolute treat because it, it would open your eyes. And even watching other sports now, I find myself watching way more of the other sports. Like what's happening away from the ball? Where's the movement? Who's manipulating who? And oh, he was he's a genius, Will. Honestly, I, he got a lot of stick for the way things finished up with Ireland. Um, but God, he was so enjoyable to watch. And you can see like even having an impact like a couple of years later on what teams are doing. Um you know, I hate that he's involved with New Zealand because I think they'll eventually get it right uh, with him there, uh, to be honest with you. But that's just how high, you know, in terms of esteem that I hold Joe Schmidt and how good he was at just understanding the opposition and your guys and how you could come up with something like that to, to manipulate them. And, and as I said, Johnny and, 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 and Andy Farrell now and my cat, they'll have another play off this that they'll manipulate the opposition with. Watch now in the next couple of games what they do something slightly different to catch them out but it, it, it will look the exact same um so yeah really smart stuff and great to see them still not being afraid and not being too arrogant to to go well do you know what that's a brilliant that's still a brilliant move and that'll still work um takes takes a big thing some coaches want to be completely you know create their own thing and not want to you know because joe schmidt inevitably got the credit pretty much straight away from that which can hurt a coach but um it shows that they're they just want to win, and I really like that about them. They're big enough to take an idea from somewhere else and uh, not be too precious about it. So yeah, it, it's it's funny um, you should say that actually because um, the second they played it, I just had the idea in my head to to write about it because I could just recognize it from the past. So I asked Johnny Sexton in the press conference um, after just to like you know talk us through the move and. Like, I think the first thing he said was, oh, well, obviously the coaches came up with it during the week. And I was I was thinking, oh, Johnny, come on. Like, we've seen this, you know, a couple of times before. And, you know, he kind of gave the kind of stock answer. And then I said again, but it was the same move that you ran in the... Because he was on the pitch in... 
when they ran it against England in the Six Nations and against Claremont in that Heineken Cup semi-final. And I brought that up and he was like, oh yeah, well, that, you know, that wasn't off a goal line dropout. So I think he was very conscious of giving the credit to the the coaches as well. But um, Will, what odds would you give? <laughs> Will, what odds That's would you give on... Um, up, yeah, Will Jordan uh, running that, running through a hole in the Irish defence in a World Cup quarter final with Joe Schmidt's fingerprints all over the same, a, a variation of the same move. Yeah, there's something, I think it must be the most satisfying feeling in rugby almost being the fullback or the receiver and just sauntering through a defence after the move is just split it wide open. Like Hugo Keenan, to be fair, probably should have thrown that pass, by the way. Like in another day, he I don't know if he makes the line now. Well, what would have to the throw to Gary Ringrose? Yeah, a man on either side of man. He fair played him. He backed himself. He got his great try, but oh, I was like, you have to throw that pass. If Joe Schmidt was still the coach, he definitely would have gotten a bollocking for that. I'd say. <laughs> yeah, not if he scored the try. He scored the try. Most importantly, you know. Keen, just before we finish up, some news from Munster today as well. Malachi Fekatoa leaving at the end of the season, halfway through his two-year deal. You know, the recruitment of overseas stars hasn't always been Munster's strong suit. A very disappointing kind of way it's panned out. I suppose in the end. Yeah, um, it is disappointing. I suppose like Munster fans will be hoping that they get a bit of bang for their buck from now until the end of the season. I think his most recent games have definitely been better, but I'd imagine the decision probably was made um, maybe around Christmas time. It's certainly been, you know, the writing has been on the wall. Look, it's really disappointing. I think from from day dot when this signing was announced, I think most people agreed that it didn't make um, much sense. Um, I don't think Malachi Fekitoa has been anywhere near his best for certainly not the all black that we saw all those years ago and you know there's been talk that like his family have struggled to settle in Limerick that maybe he has as well so you know it's not always easy for your guys to move and to settle in different places and you have to allow for the human element of it as well but in terms of a business decision and getting bang for your buck like it's been a really really poor and disappointing return you'd have to say so um look i think monster will just move on um if it's going to free up a lot of their their budget because he was on very very good money um so it'll be interesting to see where they spend it obviously the front row um was the was the area that we all felt like they would they would target so will they go back and look for someone like that or will they look for another centre? I'm not sure because it was interesting to see that I think it was in the English media or maybe in the French media that Antoine Frisch was linked with a move uh, back to France next year. Now, he signed a pretty sure a three-year deal when he came to Munster and he's looked really good, I've thought. So I'd imagine Munster will be doing everything they can to hold on for him. But in terms of Fekitoa, yeah, disappointing way to end. But I think um, a lot of people maybe wouldn't be surprised bit of a disappointing way to end the show after all the positivity earlier but uh, yeah as you say uh, maybe Munster might be able to use the money elsewhere but for the moment I'd like to thank Keen and Lou for joining me on this week's episode of the Left Wing Podcast we'll be back next week with plenty of shows looking ahead to Ireland versus Italy in the meantime you can subscribe to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or listen to us on independent.ie so until next time thanks for listening and goodbye The Six Nations on the Left Wing Podcast Rate, review and follow the show on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This is an Irish independent podcast.